Church, you may be seated. I know you saw me come up here and pray for Ben. I am not Ben's dad, uh, as you can tell. He's like six inches taller than I am. My name is Braden Rodriguez. I am our student 1825 pastor at our Delaware campus. Uh, man, thank you so much for letting me join you this morning. I've had the, the honor and privilege to preach here uh, just a couple of times before this, and so some of your faces are familiar to me, um, but welcome nonetheless. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I'd like to uh, point your direction to a resource we've curated just for you. It's called lpguest.com. Uh, if you go there, there's a portion in which uh, that you can go there. Tell us a little bit about yourself. It's our guest information portion. Tell us a little bit about yourself what you're interested in here. Uh, and if you'll fill that out, we promise we're not gonna spam your emails with a bunch of stuff. We just wanna figure out how we can serve you in the best way, how we can get you meaningfully connected uh, as fast as possible. So please go there if you are a guest. Uh, they just threw up a picture of my family. I would love to let you in on a little bit of where I'm at. I think it's been about a year since I've been here. So maybe some of you are like, man, what's going on? Who's this guy? I've seen him before. This is my family. That's Hannah, my wife, and our two twin daughters, uh, Rowan, who I'm holding, and Naomi uh, that my wife is holding. Uh, we took this picture. Um, I think it was the week before Easter because my mother-in-law was like, we need a new picture. And we, you know, let me tell you this. It's hard to get your toddlers to look at the camera. They're not even looking, first of all, um, but at least they're smiling, which is like a big step forward. Because typically what happens is you're like, all right, we're going to take a picture. And someone starts crying. Uh, fun story. We went to take pictures the other day. Uh, and my wife um, was going to take their pictures and somehow, one of them cut their hand open and started to bleed, literally in the moments that we go to take the picture. So if you're a parent and you know exactly how that feels, I'm in the same boat that you are, right? So that's a little bit about our, our family. But here's, here's why I show you that and why I want to just, one, thank you for letting me be here and all of these things is, I feel like, my wife and I, we moved here uh, two years ago. We moved 15 hours away to live here uh, in central Ohio. And we feel as if this church has become our family. That we don't have any biological family that lives here other than just us four. And that we truly believe that LifePoint has become a home for us, shameless plug, uh, for later on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about life groups. Uh, but that is how we have been meaning, meaningfully connected that we would jump in, and many of you, I know your faces, even from Delaware and our Lewis Center campus this morning, our Delaware location is closed online for these two weeks, and so I see some of you here. I've known some of you here from Plain City and some of you from Lewis Center. Man, we truly feel blessed and honored to be a part of LifePoint, and we truly feel blessed and honored to be here this morning with you. And so that's a little bit about us. Let's jump into our series uh, this morning. We're in this series called Playlist. We've been looking at the Psalms. This is week four, and we've looked at some pretty deep stuff. We looked at praise psalms, lament songs, uh, psalms of thanksgiving. This morning, this, this category of psalm is a wisdom psalm, but ultimately this idea that we've been looking at is God writes the lyrics of our souls in the psalms. That God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms has been the major portion that we've been walking through. Another way to say that is, man, we're looking on how, uh, we're looking onto God's word on how we process the emotions of our souls. Why? Because the Psalms reveal that we all have emotion. And that's okay, that God has built us uniquely with this attribute. And so then how do we process it uh, in a well place inside the Lord? 
was watching a sermon in preparation on Psalm chapter 1, and uh, there was a guy, he was preaching uh, on this passage in particular, and he quoted two different uh, early Christian thinkers, an early Christian thinker and a more uh, recent one. He says this, he says, John Calvin said he wanted to call the Psalms the anatomy of the soul, because there was not an emotion in the entire human experience that isn't expressed there. Like in a physical mirror, we can see how we're doing on the outside, the Psalm reveals our inside. And helps us see if we're moving toward or away from God. Eugene Peterson says it this way. People look into the mirror to see how they look. They look into the Psalms to find out who they are. A mirror is an excellent way to learn about our appearances. The Psalms are a biblical way to discover ourselves. A mirror shows us the shape of our nose, the curve of our chin. Things we otherwise know only through the reports of others. The Psalms show us the shape of our soul and the curve of our sin. Realities deep within us, hidden and obscured, for which we need focus and names. This is why we walk through the Psalms. This is why we longingly look into the word of God and ask it to be a mirror. James, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the apostles, would later on say that the law, that when we look into the word of God, is like looking in a mirror, and it's going to begin to show us the things that are in disarray. And he would go on to say, no man looks in a mirror and then walks away and forget what he looks like. Because then the mirror would be useless. That that is what happens when we come to the book of Psalms and really the totality of scripture is that when we look in, it reveals something to us that needs to shift and that needs to change or maybe to continue persevering on in. The Psalms are a big deal. Paul would later in the New Testament in Ephesians and Colossians two different times would say and command that we would greet one another and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Jesus would say in Luke 24, 44, that he came to fulfill what? All of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. John 5, 39, Jesus would look at a group of Pharisees and he would say, you seek the scriptures because in them you think you will find eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. From Genesis 1, 1 to Malachi, all the way through the in-between, all 150 Psalms, they point directly to Jesus. The Psalms or a big deal. And then we so happen to be in Psalm chapter one this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open there. I would love to hear the holy ruffle of pages turning. If you have your uh, iPhone, you can open up the YouVersion app. I would love to see the holy glow of that Bible app on your face. If you don't have either, we'll have them on the screens. But Psalm chapter one, we, I, I found it interesting. I feel very blessed. I found it interesting we didn't start with Psalm one. I feel blessed because I get it week four, but the reason is I feel blessed and, and it's such an amazing moment in which we get to sit in is because often Psalm chapter 1 is called the summary of the Psalms. That it, it introduces this idea, this dichotomous relationship between wickedness and righteousness. Which is a pervasive thought not just in the book of Psalms but through the entire Bible. That often this psalm is called the gatekeeper of the Bible because it's going to introduce to us some thoughts this morning that ultimately point to the gospel and its entry level. Righteousness, wickedness, blessedness, all of these things that we're going to unpack this morning. Honestly, it's one of my favorite psalms. And so praise God, Corey said, hey, you free on that day? And I said, yes, I am. Let's pray before we open the word of God and read. Father, we ask that you would till up the soils of our hearts. God, remove anything that need to be removed. And God, would you take the seed of your word and would you plant it deep inside of us? Father, as your word promises, would it produce 30, 60, and a hundredfold. God, as the old prayer says, what we know not, 
Would you teach us what we are not? Would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? All for the sake of your son, who's our savior. Amen. Psalm chapter one reads this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands with sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by a stream of water. In its season it bears fruit and its leaves do not wither. In everything he does, he prospers. The wicked are like chaff. They are driven away by the wind. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. We start with this main thought this morning. If we had a main point of this text, a summary of this text, and a main point of this sermon, it would be this. Ready? One point sermon. Ready? If you get this, you got the whole thing. The happy man is planted in the Lord. The happy man is planted in the Lord. And you're like, Braden, this passage says nothing about happiness. Where do you get this emotion from? If you were to start here in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, blessed is the man. If you were to break down that word blessed or blessed, however you want to uh, pronounce it, it is this idea that carries happiness. And actually, it carries some deeper connotations than just being happy. It's the state of bliss. Bliss is happiness in completion. So if we were to take a step back and we read back into Psalm chapter 1, happy is the man. The man who is in the state of complete happiness, complete satisfaction is X, Y, and Z. Timothy Keller says, happiness is possible when he preaches in Psalm chapter one. Happiness is possible. It's what we seek. It's what we strive after. This country was built in 1776 on the idea in which it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That we are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. That among These are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. That our whole human experience is probably summed up with that phrase, pursuit of happiness. That's all we want. That we want to be satisfied. And unfortunately, our problem is we seek satisfaction everywhere and happiness anywhere. That's the problem. And so we start in the psalm and we're processing the emotions of our souls, right? We're talking about God writes the lyrics of our heart in this psalm. He says, you want to be happy. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I just want to be happy? Maybe in this moment currently or just in general. Most of us, if you're not raising your hand, I'm sorry. I I think you're lying to yourself. I think ultimately we all want to be happy. And this psalm will break that down for us. How is happiness and bliss and blessedness come about? Well, he starts first with how it does it. Let's look at that. The one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He says, happy is not the man who does these things. The unhappy man looks like this. He follows the counsel of wicked. He walks in a sinful way and he sits among scoffers. I like the way that the message paraphrase uh, uh, says this particular verse. It says, you don't hang out in the, sl- in the sin saloon. You don't slink around dead in row and you don't go to smart mouth college. The, the message version has updated that passage since, but you can Google that. It, it, is, uh, it is quite humorous to read, but you think about that. 
You don't hang out in the sin saloon. What is a saloon? It's a place to go and drink and forget. You go down dead end road, right? A place in which that leads nowhere. It just stops at some point. You don't go to loudmouth college, right? You're not a smart mouth. You're, you're not angry, right? We find that if you want to be a smart mouth and you want, and you want to go and, and, and just say anything you want, ultimately what you're going to find is you will be unhappy. When you follow the advice of the sinful, you live in your sinfulness, and then you begin to belong in sinfulness, this idea of having a seat amongst it, that that is where you belong. It starts with this, I'll just listen to the guy. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll walk, I'll, I'll listen to the advice of the sinful, and then I, I begin to stand amongst it. And then my final resting place is that of sitting in the midst of it. Unhappy, dissatisfied is the man who does these things. Let's take a time out for just a moment. What is this first verse telling us? It is not to disassociate with the non-believer. Right, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands with sinners and sits in the seats of scoffers. What is not being advocated here is complete disassociation from the unbeliever because what Jesus would come on the scene and say is this, is that the sick need a doctor and they need the gospel, so go therefore. So what it's not advocating for is to never have unbelieving friends or to have people in your life in which you know that are in sinfulness. Actually, he calls us to go to those people and spread this good news to them and we'll get there. But what I think it's ultimately saying is this, is that when you begin to seek your own passions and desires and satisfaction anywhere else other than Jesus, you will ultimately be dissatisfied. Ultimately. I talk to college students, middle school students and high school students all the time. I've heard people in their 20s tell me, man, I, just, I can't drink anymore because it makes me anxious and depressed. Those who have struggled in sexual sin that I've been counseling uh, them through, man, it makes me depressed. I feel terrible afterwards. That I, uh, you know, go and do this or I listen to this person and I go and do that and I, I, I just don't understand my own identity. That that has been the fruit that has been yielded from seeking passions and desires that are outside of Jesus. That ultimately it is unfruitful. And then the text would go on and read in verse 4, the wicked are like chaff, driven away by the wind. That ultimately a life following our own passions and desires does have a yield. Right? This idea of, of a crop being brought forth. The crop of that though is this, is of chaff. I had to go look that up because I was like, what in the world is, is chaff? What is even that, right? Because Jesus would talk about it later. We've got to separate wheat and chaff. What does that mean? What is chaff? If you have wheat, which is the thing that you want because gluten is godly, you know what I'm saying? You, you ingest a little bit of bread, you know, it's good for the soul. Wheat. There's this byproduct of wheat called chaff. It's this little protective shell around the thing we actually want. And so to get the, the, the wheat that we want, we have to beat it to separate it from chaff. Old ways, they would say they would beat it on the ground or they would take things and hit it or they would throw it up in the air on a windy day and right, the chaff would get blown off and now there's these huge machines that you throw wheat in and it blows chaff one way and the wheat the other and it's great. But ultimately, chaff is not good for humans. The best it is, it is for is a byproduct to feed uh, your livestock. Right, So we have this idea that chaff is not very good and actually it's just blown around by wind. I looked up a, a video of, of a, uh, I guess you would 
call it a, I don't know what it is. It separates wheat and chaff, whatever it is. Somebody who knows, tell me later. They throw the wheat in and it literally just, it's just dust spread everywhere. That ultimately the yield of your life when you seek your own passions and desires is that of carried away by the wind. That when this teaching and this doctrine comes by that's not biblical or, or godly, you'll just follow it. When this person says, hey, come with me here, go with me there, try this new thing, you'll do it because you're just blown around by the wind. And you'll go and you'll follow. Why? Because you'll try to seek satisfaction in it and ultimately it leads somewhere. That's the earthly yield. Here's the eternal spiritual yield. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the path of the righteous, but the path of the wicked will perish. Ultimately, the happy man, the one who's planted in the Lord, and the unsatisfied man who's following his sinful passions and desires, their eternal destination is radically different. Their spiritual destination is radically just, it's, it's unthinkable how big the difference is. Later in the New Testament, Jesus would say the eternal destination of those who follow their own passions and desires and who don't have a relationship with God is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't tell you that to scare you, but it is the true reality in which we live in. If we have no relationship with our heavenly Father, we are dissatisfied and ultimately will be led to a place where there is eternal separation from our God and his people. That it is a lonely, dark destination. In our sinfulness, we're in a bad way. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a standard in which God has set that none of us can attain to. And then it says later on in Romans that it would uh, be that the wages of our sin is death. The paycheck we've earned on this side of eternity is that of eternal separation from God. But the passage doesn't stop in verse 4 doesn't stop in 5 and 6 where it says the, the per- they'll just perish and that's it. Sorry. Glad you tried. Nice, nice go. Good game that you've played. No, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. There can be a change. And ultimately the change, right? We talk about how, how does the Psalm chapter 1 point to Jesus, right? How do we escape an eternal separation from God and his people? It's Christ. How can we delight in the very presence of God? It's Jesus. That God would become man. He would step out of holy eternity, holy perfection, holy unity, would be born of a virgin, live perfect 33 years, fulfilling all 613 Levitical laws on our behalf, fulfilling all 150 Psalms and every prophecy from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Malachi. That Jesus would step on the scene, fulfill all the scriptures, and die on a cross. The death that we earned, that paycheck that was signed to us because of our sinfulness, Jesus says at the right time, Paul would say at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus would be nailed to a cross on behalf of our sin and the way we have sought our own passions and fleshly desires. That he would be crucified there for that. He would die a real death and three days later would rise. And he would live so that we might be baptized into a death that was like his and raised to walk in a new life 
like his, being made a new creation, no longer chasing the passions and the desires of our flesh, but chasing the passions and the desire and the glory of a heavenly father. And it says, for those who know him, for those who have a relationship with Jesus, it now says that he intermediates at the right hand of the father for us. I was reading in Isaiah 1 this week where it says our sins were like scarlet, but he made them whiter than snow. That every passion and desire that we used to chase after, once we stand fully reconciled, regenerated in Jesus Christ, we are made white as snow, new creations in Jesus. And ultimately, he'll return for us. But let let me not get ahead of myself. We'll save that for the end. Verse 2, right? Happiness is possible. That's what unhappiness, dissatisfaction looks like. Where do we find ultimate satisfaction? His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Blaise Pascal, early Christian thinker, says this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus. The void can be filled. What is Blaise saying there? There's a big hole in your heart. You've tried to cram a bunch of stuff in it to satisfy you, and yet the one thing that can is the man, Jesus. So delight is found in God, and delight is found in the words of God. That we would longingly look into his word to see who he is. And when it, when it says law, Timothy Keller would talk about how this is the whole council of scripture. So not just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. That we would look into the word longingly to find God's presence. The book is not special because it says holy, by the way. The book is special because the very presence of God and the breath of God sits upon these pages. 2 Timothy 3.16 would say, all scripture is breathed out by the mouth of God. So when we open this book, his very presence and breath is there. We get to know him. And we get to be in his presence. Talk about a few different ways in which we can find delight in the presence of God. I don't have, unfortunately, enough time to unpack all of them. I'm just going to unpack two different ways this morning. If you'd like to hear me talk about like four other ways to do that, go listen to my Drivecast this week. It's great, but for the sake of my last 10 minutes, we can't jump into all of them. Two ways in which we can delight in the presence of God. First is through the reading of his word. Being people of God's word, diving deep in, right? He says he meditates on it. There's a few different ways in which we can intake the word of God. The first is reading it. The second, the second is this, is that we would hear it. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So we come and we sit and we listen to the word of God taught and exhorted and, uh, and preached to us. That we would come on Sunday mornings and we would listen to the likes of Corey and our other teaching pastors and we would have the word of God washed over us. That we would go to our life groups week in and week out and we would sit amongst the believers and we would talk and encourage one another with the scriptures that we would hear the word of God, we would read the word of God, that we would meditate on God's word. This is not just, you know, uh, oh, that was a nice sermon, John 3, 16, Psalm chapter one, let it go in one ear and out the other. But no, we would take it deep inside of us, we would meditate on it and let it move us to action. Fourthly is this, is that we memorize God's word. God, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, Psalm 119, 11. Fifth, we would study God's word. And this is the one you're not gonna like, 
Why? Because it's the most time intrusive to your schedule. Acts 17, verse 11, says, These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Who's it talking about? Berean Jews were more noble than Thessalonican Jews. Why? It says because they received the scriptures and they examined them daily to see if these things were so. Let's look at the context for just a moment. Paul comes and he preaches the gospel, uses the word of God to preach it. And the Berean Jews listened to what Paul had to say and they said, Cool, cool, cool. I hear that you're using the scriptures. That's a great word. Let's, hey, I, I got to go look it up. I got to make sure that what you're saying is legit. And they came back and sure enough, they did. It was legit. The gospel is real. It does point to Jesus. So studying God's word is more than just sitting and reading. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. I delight. Meditate. Those are all great. No. Go back. Dig deep. Research. See what it meant back then so that we can find out what it means for us right now. That's the most time intrusive to your schedule. It's going to require you to jump onto uh, blueletterbible.org. It's going to require you to get some commentaries. It's going to require you to maybe go grab a study Bible. I would say that's probably one of the best resources you could have, by the way, is a study Bible because it's a one-stop shop. You can read the, the passage here, and then it's going to have commentary and original context at the bottom so that you can know. You could examine it for yourself so that you might see if these things are so. We can delight in God and his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy, Psalm 16, verse 11. We find it in his word, but where's another place we can find his presence? Delighting. It's amongst his people. Is that we could jump in to a life group. As Paul would say that each of us are individual pieces of a body, and he, and he begins to list off body parts, right? Hand, feet, ears, mouth. We're all different pieces, every single one of us in this room. And he says, and once we get all together, we become one body led by the head, Jesus. So that once we come together and we get in life groups and we begin to have community with one another, we can find delight in the very presence of God because of his people, God functioning through them so that we might build one another up. Shameless plug, May 7th, today is the launch of life group terms. If you've not found your community yet here, if you're looking and searching and longing to feel somewhere that you can commune, today is the day. We have our catalogs spread amongst you. We've got different uh, resources out in the lobby. If you don't know, talk to your uh, campus life pastor, Matt. I think he's, where was he? I just saw him. He's right there. Look, he raised his hand so you can come bombard him afterwards. I beg of you, I promise, I'm telling you, my wife and I, we went to a one-year-old's birthday party yesterday. Why? Because they were part of our life group. We knew them before they had kids. When they were walking through, coming back from being a part of a church plant where they were overused and kind of burnt out and we were brand new to the church and there was another couple that was brand new and us three couples got together and we began to live life with one another. Personally, my wife and I found family. I was talking to the husband of that group um, uh, in the, they just had their one-year-old one-year-old birthday party. I was talking to him yesterday, and we were talking about the reason you have a one-year-old birthday party is not because you're celebrating their first birthday because they're not going to remember, and you don't invite a bunch of kids, right? Like, it's fun for the parent more than it is for the kid, but who do you invite to a one-year-old's birthday party? It's not a bunch of kids. It's your friends. It's your family. So they can celebrate with you the one-year-old. I think the only kids that were there was like the kid's cousin and my two kids. It just so happens I have kids, so they were also allowed to come. But 
There were more couples there who didn't have children than who did. Why? Because life and community is found in the people of God, and we can experience God's presence through his people. What is the yield of this life? If the yield of the life of the man that was wicked is like shaft and blown away, we said happiness is being planted in the Lord. The yield of the life of happiness and being planted inside of God is deep and rooted inside of God. He says, the man is like a tree planted by a stream of water. In its season it bears fruit, its leaves do not wither, and everything he does, he prospers. This idea that we're planted deep by water. On my drive from Delaware to Plain City, there's a lot of farms, and there's a lot of crops, and it would be foolish to plant entire fields without a water source. Why? Because it won't grow. Plants must have water to live. And so the man who is planted deep inside of God is like something planted next to a river or an irrigation system. It produces, it has yield, fruit, and leaves. It doesn't die until you cut it down, and then it dies, right, for the, for the crop, for the corn. But the people here would have no problem imagining this. They would think about the area in which they are in Palestine, and there's stuff planted along, you know, the Nile River in Egypt, and all these different rivers, and all these things are planted by, and they're luscious, and they're great, and they have fruit, and it's awesome. That's the kind of life in which David says, it's like you're going to be like a tree planted by water, growing all the nutrients that you need. But also, Psalm chapter 1 echoes some other scriptures. In Psalm chapter 1, it talks about trees planted by rivers. Genesis, back in the creation of the garden, there's trees and rivers. and Everything is lush and beautiful. And as a Jewish listener here, I would imagine that they would remember as it talks about trees and rivers, oh man, what it must have been like for Adam, our first father, to be in the garden, lush and beautiful with everything he needed, prosperous. But we as 21st century believers hear this passage in Psalm chapter one and they didn't quite have the rest of the book like we do. It echoes forward to Revelation 21 and 22 that we would hear it and we would remember one day there will be a place, a new city called New Jerusalem that's talked to about in Revelation 21 and 22 and there's going to be a lot of rivers and there's going to be trees planted along where it says the leaves are for the healing of the nation. There will be a place and a perfect place in which we get to dwell with God that he says there's no more tears and pain. He'll wipe every tear away from our eyes. I imagine that's what bliss is like. Happiness, blessedness, in the very presence of our heavenly Father who loves us. Right, we talked about the destinations of the two being radically different. different. What is the destination for those who are completely satisfied and a holy and heavenly Father? It is that of being in his presence for the rest of our days and for thousands and thousands of years to come. We can sing things like, oh, the grace Holy, holy, holy. Worthy is he who has all glory and honor and power. I'd like to end this morning with one more psalm. One more, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David writes this psalm in the midst of some trying times, in the midst of trouble. And here's his prayer. I want you. I want to be in your house. God, I want to look upon your beauty and I just want to ask you a lot of questions. He's longed for God in the midst of trouble. Why? Because ultimately, his pre- being in God's presence is where he belongs. He knows this is where he will be complete. Happiness is with God because ultimately it's where we belong. We belong with God. We belong with our heavenly Father. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, just think with me for a few moments. Maybe you came in this morning and you're like, I already got a relationship with Jesus. I've already started that. Praise God. However, as Calvin and Peterson and all of them said, it shows us the anatomy of our soul. It's like a mirror pointing out some things in us that need to begin to be changed. So maybe you did come in, you have a relationship with Jesus, but maybe you began to talk about following the counsel of the wicked, standing amongst sinners and maybe finding your belonging place there. Maybe, maybe what's happened this morning is you've started to follow Jesus, yes, but maybe you're struggling with some of your former passions where you used to try to be completely satisfied in other things. And maybe God has pointed out to you, hey, that thing, lay it down. Be satisfied in me. That hole in your heart, don't, don't try to fill it again with that your belonging places with me. So maybe there's some things that you need to think through, pray through, lay down before the Lord this morning. But maybe you walked in, and I don't want to, I don't want to be presumptuous that every person in this room came in with a relationship with Jesus. Statistically, that's not the case. Maybe you've walked in this morning and you are completely dissatisfied with the life in which you are you are unhappy. You feel incomplete. There's a promise in the scriptures it's that you can be satisfied. That there was this man named Jesus who said, if you'll just come to me, all that satisfaction, says, if you're thirsty, come and drink, you will be satisfied. If you're hungry, come and eat, you will be filled. One of his apostles would say in a letter, today is the day of salvation. Today you can feel complete and whole in the man, Jesus. Who died on the cross for every sin in which you've ever committed and you will commit. And he will complete you, wash you, make you whiter than snow. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship. Father, this morning we ask that you would come. You would do the work in which only you can do.
for those of us who have had relationship with you for quite some time or a little time. And Father, we've, we've struggled with the passions of our flesh and the desires in which we used to seek after and following you. Father, would you begin to move us in the direction of delighting in your presence, delighting in your word, delighting in your people, forsaking all sin and passion and desire that was once before. But rather, God, we would find it in you. Father, for any person in this place who does not know you, and yet this morning they said, I want to be whole, and I want to know the man, Jesus, the one who, be, who was God, who, who took on flesh and died in my place. Father, would you do a work in them? Would they leave knowing you, having relationship with you today? If that is you, by the way, I would encourage you before you leave this place, would you find Corey? Would you stop at our Next Steps team? Would you find someone with a, a serving shirt, a lanyard, whoever? Would you stop, grab one of them on the way out before you leave and just say, I need to talk more about that relationship thing, that satisfaction thing that Braden was talking about. Father, we give you all glory and honor for you are the only one worthy of all praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name.